Welcome to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Steve. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode in this Advent mini-series, this year 2020, the year of uh, great, weird and wonderful things. Um, Tonight, we're going to be digging a little bit further into this parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells in Luke 10. Um, And specifically going to focus tonight on the two characters, the priest and the Levite, and have a look at the potential critique that Jesus is giving at the temple system at that point and institutional religion. And then perhaps just jump across all the ages will be in our sight tonight as we have a look at institutional religion um, and what it is that is perhaps the problem um, with institutional religion. Why does it not provide us a space in which to genuinely connect and care with each other um, and for each other. And then what possibilities are there, you know, if we imagined new ways of doing this, either outside of that institution or moving with that critique towards some sort of reforming or rethinking how we do these kinds of community. And so I'm really excited tonight. um, I'm joined by my good friend, Tim. Tim and I have been collaborating together on his Urban Mystic podcast, uh, which has been super exciting. And uh, I'm just super excited to have you join me here tonight, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me. I don't do um, very many devotional kind of uh, uh, podcasts or chats or talks or anything like that these days. So it, uh, it, it's quite a refreshing change from the heady stuff that I've been getting stuck into. And it's nice to, to, to be a guest. So thanks for inviting me. So yeah, tonight I want to have a look at these two questions that come to me in terms of the critique that Jesus lays against the priest and the Levite and talk a little bit about um, potentially what is he saying or just looking generally at the idea of the institution of religion and what is it that is just so deficient and so defunct there um, that we just don't do community well. We don't engage in community well. Um, we don't care for each other. We don't connect deeply. And I'm aware that there's a number of different levels there, which hopefully just as we as we chat back and forth, we'll, we'll move through. So I know that, you know, people make up institutions, but institutions also sometimes have a life of their own and just seem to excise these these limits and these barriers to some of our behaviors. And so that's the first question I want to have a look at is the critique. And the second that we're going to jump into afterwards when we're done with that is how can we imagine something new, something better, something different out of this? So Tim, do you want to kick us off? What are your thoughts as I pose that initial question, what do you think it is that is just so wrong with the way in which we do institutional religion that keeps us from connecting with each other? I, I think this is this this ends up being quite um, it ends up being quite challenging in the sense that we've got two institutional representatives um, mm-hmm. who who ostensibly are people who are in right standing with God because they're they're in the know they're within the right community they dress appropriately, they obey all the laws. Mm. And then we've got someone who's ostensibly wrong with God. And I feel like what's been contrasted is the notion of, of being right with God and trying to believe and behave right, but you're out of sync with your neighbor. So it's it's the, it's challenging the understanding that if you're, you can't be right with God without being right with your neighbor mm. and somehow inverting that and saying, by being right with your neighbor, you can't be right with God. Because of course the, the Samaritan who does, 
the humane thing in dealing with the, the you know, the beaten up robbed person mm. is the person who actually doesn't fit the bill in any, um, you know, it doesn't fit the bill of the person that is right with God, like the priest and the Levite do. So I feel like it, there's an interesting contrast and I find myself mm. wondering which Jesus identified himself uh, with the most, you know, mm. um, you know, especially given his critique of religious leaders. And then, you know, almost in some ways, I feel like, like we can't read this parable alone without the context of, you know, things like the lost sheep, without the thing mm. of if you did tear down this temple in three days or rebuild it, you know, I, mm. I feel like in some ways it goes together with that. So that's that's my initial thoughts to to, to just start off with, you know. Um, mm. But to get back to your question, you know, um, mm. of, of what is it about this institution that doesn't support this? Um, what What is it about the institution that doesn't really enable us to... Um, to get down and dirty with the broken and wounded and, and, and help them. What is it that doesn't enable us to get into like relational connection and communities with people that are considered not right with God? Mm. You know, um, I, I think it's a tough question. I think, I think there's many different ways to answer it in many different layers that is, that is actually being addressed. You know, I think, mm. I think off of the top of my head is the idea of, of being part of you know your bread right you're part of the right race you're part of the right political nation mm. and then on top of that you're part of the right religious institution and you're well educated and you know your life is fine you've you've lived your life right you're legally in the right with your country you're legally in the right with god and mm. so to preserve that right standing you you cannot interact with the rebel. You can't do the unclean thing. You can't spend time with the wrong company because you know one wrong apple spoils the bunch kind of thing. So 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 there's the whole thing of of you have to keep yourself pure by keeping yourself separate from them. I think mm. I think for me that's the first key thing that springs mm. out. And and how do you see that playing out in kind of our day and age within institutional religion? Do you see sort of similar things there, um, you know, outside mm. of potentially the, you know, the strict sort of mosaic code that those two are, are holding to? Um, and the, mm. you know, obviously the, the, the Jewish context in terms of the classes uh, and where they stand politically, socially, economically, etc. Do you see sort of current day um, sort of resonance with that? I, I do. I think. I think the clearest example that we that we are seeing is is a clash between um, you know a certain kind of Islamic monotheism and its sense of of values and legislation and how that's playing out in relation to uh, Western liberal secularized countries that they want to convert and change the policies of. I think. I think that's the one thing that's that like stands out off the top of my head as being most immediately um, like prevalent and perceived as a threat to our society. Um, and, and, and it stands up because we're perceived, perceived as a threat to their society. If we come a little bit closer to home, I think the place that we see that um, playing out at the moment in, in, you know, in a, on the stage of the, the media for us, but for people that are in a American and North American con context, Mm. You know, there's a there's a particular kind of politicization to Christianity. It's very politically bound between the conservatives and the liberals. You know, mm. um, and, and what's what's happening there. So, so I think that's 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 you know, those are two easy ones. But they they're the easy stages. That's it's easy mm. to point at them because they're big they're big happenings in our world and they're broad. You know, they they they're broad politically. They cross nations and nations borders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. 
I think I think the other place that we see it play out largely is is in the context of of people who don't believe the right things. So there's a lot of people that are deconstructing classically held beliefs. You know, what mm. priority do we give the scriptures? What is the necessity of the church? Uh, do we allow women to be ordained in ministry? Um, do we marry mm. homosexual people? So so I see we play we play it around. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know what's the right word for that. The one is a collection of moral issues, but you know, women in leadership isn't a moral issue. It's what is that? That's a gender mm. roles. You know, mm. we see it playing out in terms of gender roles. Um, so I think I think those are easy things to 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 look at. But I think I think overall as well, there's there's also just the general culture. There's the there's the culture of exclusion that we have. You know, so if you're a particular personality type and you look at the world in a particular way and you've got a certain kind of values, you'll find yourself very much at home in a in an Anglican church, right? Mm. If you hold to a certain other set of beliefs and practice, you're very welcome in the um, in the Baptist church or the Methodist mm. church. If you're ordained in one, you don't easily get to preach in another unless mm. there's a specific alliance or agreement. So I think I think there's 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 big issue stuff that goes, oh, we completely reject you. And then there's others that go, well, we kind of accept you, but not as a figure that we can use as a stand-up person within our community to mm. teach or represent the faith. You know, so mm. so I feel like there's 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 almost like um there's soft unneighborliness and there's very harsh unneighborliness mm. and it plays out between politics and ethics and what beliefs we hold to as well. Mm. It reminds me of a story somebody told me about a, a little old lady who grows up Anglican and goes to visit the Methodist church one day because she's been told she has to reach out to some of the other denominations around her and she's sitting right front and center at the front of this church and the the Methodist minister looks down at her and says, oh, you're new. Where are you from? She says, no, I'm, I'm from the Anglican church. And he says, oh, and why are you an Anglican? And she says, well, my mother was an Anglican and my father was an Anglican. And he says, oh, that's interesting. And if your mother was an idiot and your father was an idiot, what would that make you? <laughs> she says, well, I guess then I'd be a Methodist. Um, <laughs> and just this idea of this, this in-out barrier this mm. you belong in this box or this box or this category or that category mm. um mm. i think that's one of the things that fascinates me the most about institutional religion and how it just it beds down into this in art existence um mm. yeah I, mm. I, you know on a, on a similar vein just just thinking back i um uh when i was still uh, you know when i was a lot younger so thinking back mm. a decade or two back right mm. <laughs> um I, I ended up being a leader on on a, on a children's camp and one of the things that they that they had everyone do that was going to be a leader by way of promoting the children's camp was to go and visit churches in the area where they were having it mm. and um, and basically just dropping off brochures and connecting with people and looking around that area, you know, I noted that uh, that the local Catholic church was a uh, was quite a big church, mm. and um, and understandably there would be a lot of youth, and some of them would be spare for holidays, and it would be great to go visit them. So, you know, on mm. my own initiative, I just went and did that because that's what we were doing. But there was a lot of tension and controversy about it. I, sure. I had one or two of the other people that were supposedly senior leaders in this children's camp, you know, pull me aside to have a very uh, heavy-handed conversation with me about <laughs> why on earth would I be inviting them Catholics, you know, to, <laughs> to, to come to a children's camp, you know, and I'm kind of going, sure. you know, well, you know, they, you know, arguably they've been as a 
as a tradition, they've been Christian longer than any of the Protestants, right? <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, there's just good neighborliness. You know, yeah. what does it matter what faith they are if you're going, we're having this children's camp because we want to connect with people and we want to do some good in the community. You sure. know, where is the line? We do good only to our own people and our own people first. And if you don't fit that mold, then then I'm sorry, we can't have you because we're just going to get upset with you and fight with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, if I think in terms of the parable, it's as if the priest waits for the Levite, you know, just mm -hmm. around the corner or just 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 down the road from where this poor guy is left bleeding and bloodied on the, on, in the path. Mm -hmm. And as the Levite comes up, the priest shouts out, don't stop for him. He's not one of us. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> run on by, well, run on by. Interestingly enough, I don't know if it's an urban legend or if it is an actual study that took place, but yeah. I, I believe it's an actual study where they had a whole bunch of people who were in seminary basically going to go and preach their sermon on this particular passage <laughs> and um, and basically stopped them to to help out in some crisis along the way. And the majority of the people basically went, I can't do this because I'm going to be late. Why? Because I'm going to go preach a parable. I'm preaching on this particular That's parable. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so 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 I'd actually love to look that up and and check out if it's if I'm if I'm remembering that accurately. But sure. but it but uh, so, so apparently, the the conclusion was that the only thing that they found was that it depended on the amount of available time these theological students had as to sure. whether they were willing to help someone out or whether they would go and uh, and do their sermon thing. So that's fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. You know, I think if 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 I run with the sentiment of that, what mm -hmm. I think that really shows something that I see in kind of institutional religion is this idea of mm -hmm. the show must go on over and above the needs, the reality of the actual human beings, the people in the space. It yeah. reminds me of a story. Um, I was at a church once um, and somewhere in the early sort of stages of the service somewhere, this is one of the sort of more sort of straight down the line Protestant churches. Mm -hmm. So at 40 minutes in that, we're just kind of getting warmed up, right? <laughs> and uh, this message comes through, a tree has fallen down in the parking lot and it's crashed a couple of cars. Mm. And so myself and a couple of other people go out and we figure out whose cars it are and we go and tell them, you know, you probably want to know that you're, and it was a huge tree. I mean, it mm. literally crashed a couple of the cars. Yeah. Um, and so we go out with the vehicle owners and we're standing around, there's maybe 10 or 12 of us. And we're thinking, okay, so what are we going to do? Is it going to be tow trucks? How do you get hold of a lumberjack on a Sunday morning? <laughs> All these kinds of things and thinking quite practically. Yeah. Along with there are two or three really, really hacked off individuals mm. that this tree has fallen down on their car. <laughs> yeah. And while we're processing all of this, the guy who runs the church comes out and has some very stern words with us mm. about what are we doing in the parking lot? Mm. There are important things <laughs> happening in that building right now <laughs> that we are A, missing out on, mm. and B, people are noticing that we're outside. And it's distracting people from the really important message that's being preached. Yeah, and he expects them to turn around. You know, he expects us to go inside. Mm. And it was a really strange experience for me on a number of levels because, firstly, you know, maybe I'll come back to this. There's there's the machinery of the church, right? Mm. So, it, what's happening in the building and happening within this religious practice at that point is super important. It supersedes anything else, and you know that's why I, I love that story about the theology students dashing on their way <laughs> to preach a sermon. Yeah. But 
this guy was maybe in his sort of mid to late forties and there were older men. And this is a, and a reason I mention it is because in this particular context, it was a very sort of patriarchal setup. There were older men that just tucked their tail between their legs and scuttled off inside. <laughs> and I thought, jeepers, I've never seen that in this context, mm-hmm. that a, a younger ish guy speaks to older men and they just kind of like shamedly slink away. Yeah. And then the third thing was just looking at the faces of the people whose vehicles had been damaged. Mm. And there was no, as I remember it at least, maybe to be fair, there was no kind of, wow, guys, this is hectic. Oh my goodness, is everyone okay? Mm. So sorry to hear this. Goodness me, maybe we'll, you know, we'll have to get something going. But there's nothing we can do now. Why don't we get back inside and finish the service? Mm. You know, And you could see these few individuals just going like, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> you don't connect with me at all. You seem to have no interest in the situation or the circumstances of this accident that's just happened. Mm. And all you want me to do is get back in there so that the show can go on. Mm. And I've never forgotten that because for me, it's so, it so dramatically represents how the institution can prioritize its, its shape and its form and its happenings mm. and its machinery yeah. over the actual people that are a part of it. Yeah. And so I love that, that story that you tell about the theology students. I hope it's true because yeah. I have a feeling it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would think so. I would think so. But you, you know, the other thing that stands out about, um, about that as a story, and, and if you think of the lepers, uh, it's a similar, it's a similar mm. kind of dynamic as well. If you're a priest or a Levite and you are exposed to a dead body, you're considered unclean for mm. a certain period of time and you have to separate yourself from the community. Same thing with mm. le- people with leprosy. As a religious leader, yeah. if you go near someone with leprosy, you know, and the wind is blowing a certain way or another way, the distance can vary mm. how close you get to them. But if you get close to them, you're actually considered unclean for a while and you have to separate yourself from the community. And so that mm. uncleanness carries over and into the sense that not only are you unacceptable in the community and to do your job, you're now unacceptable to God for a certain period of time. Now that's, I've, mm. I find that quite fascinating because um, a child dies, Jesus lies on the body. <laughs> mm. uh, if I remember correctly, mm. did I, did I just misquote mm. that from the old Testament or, or was it from Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be mixing and matching Elijah lying on the body and Jesus, but Jesus does go or, or Paul, into the girl's or, room or, and, and touch her and yes, say, get up. Yes. Okay. Okay. So there's, there, there's mm. some kind of vague semblance of that. Like don't be near a, a dead mm. body. If you touch it, you're going to be unclean for a period. Similar with the lepers. Mm. And I, I wonder if mm. one of the big reasons why is that religious people have got a tremendous amount to say about the behavior of others and the unacceptability, mm. but they cannot affect any change or healing for those people people and mm. that's a pattern that we see time and time again let alone the fact that you know as people reflect those that that, that preachers sin quite often from the pulpit are preaching their favorites and you know nine times out of ten <laughs> that's what they're into you know um mm. but but yeah we see something different so so jesus is commending the samaritan because the samaritan out of his own resources went out of his way to heal people to, to heal the person mm. to take the person to the hospital to take care of them and jesus goes that's more righteous than than anything else but of course, when Jesus does that stuff, there's the there's a sense that the that the the good news is the goodness is the good news that brings actual healing and restoration. We're not told those those parables and stories. Uh, this parable is 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 not you know it's kind of like in the shadow of what Jesus does when he 
as we understand it, as we read the text, we're not given for the, the option to think that Jesus, in his caring out of the resources that have been gifted to his ministry and for his support, he took care of those lepers and they died peacefully from leprosy. The understanding is mm. that he healed them. The same mm. with, with the dead. It's not that he cared for people and he's caring for the people and him being all pastoral, you know, um, like they stayed dead and everyone was like, cool, chill, Jesus, you've been the nicest person to us in the death of, 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 <laughs> of our wake, yeah. You know, there's a sense yeah. that, that he raised the dead, you know. And so, mm. so in that sense, I, I wonder if one of the big reasons why we we have this politics of exclusion is because, because, because there's a continual sense of loss to religious identity, to national identity, to, 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 to almost religious purity, because you've got to keep it separate, you've got to preserve it in a particular way. Whereas this is the parable mm. of Jesus behavior and the other thing seems to go so against that. He's actually breaking the mm. purity laws in order to bring healing to people. You know, and he even does mm. that stuff on a Sabbath. I mean, what kind of Messiah is this that mm. would dare heal mm. someone on a Sabbath in front of everyone and claim to forgive sins, mm. you know? And so I think there's a dimension there that we that we see continuously. And so even when it comes to the classic missional services that we have today, the idea is that we've got to raise a bunch of money and that our credit cards go ahead of us in mission, right? Our credit mm. cards and our financial charity go ahead. And in the absence of that, we can't bring this good news. We can't bring this gospel to, to people. Mm. And, so, and so my mind wanders from any kind of neat answer into all of these different avenues that for me just start opening mm. and nuancing this and go, whew, maybe the problem is a heck of a lot bigger than I thought it was when I first read this text. Mm. Mm. That's what I so love about reading these these stories within stories mm. and specifically just where there's this, this parable attached because I find my mind just dashing off down a rabbit warren of just so many tunnels going, but what about this? But what about mm. this? But what about this? Um, and there's so many areas that I can link some mm. of this mm. into. Um, so yeah, very much so. Um, I wanted to ask you about something that you said. Are you suggesting, so when you talk about the piety, are you suggesting that in some way, the religious setup maintains, sustains its piety mm. in some ways solely on the fact that it's exclusionary. And so what we, what we don't have is the downcast and the downtrodden and the losers and the unhealed and the, all the rest of that sort of stuff within our circles, because in some way that would question, you know, just how pious, just how close to God, just how, mm. you know, you got the thumbs up from God, the tick mark, the rubber stamp, whatever, um, as, as to whether that's that's what status this religion or this institution has. Is that kind of what I hear you saying, partly in terms of this the stance on piety? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I, I think what is what is being challenged on one level is is the notion that if you if you've got everything looking right on the outside, then you must be right with God, you know, and so. So um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to out anyone. I don't think anyone on this <laughs> on this podcast is going to um, is going to make this link to to someone that I know. I, I was online chatting with uh, some people um, the other night, and we were playing some Dota together. And the one person mm. works in a church context, and someone arrived in the middle of the night at their place, and 
they they didn't mute hmm. their mic, so we got to hear some of it behind some of the behind the scenes thing. Oh wow! And the person's response <laughs> is going, "You you can't arrive here in the middle of the night because because I I live alone, and and you're a woman that's married and you've arrived in the middle of the night in a crisis, like needing needing my help. Like you can't do this to me. Like I'm going to get in hmm. a lot of trouble for this." Um, and so, and so for me, that that is an example of a story. Was one that immediately came to mind. Now, now all 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 things sure. like considered, they they handled the rest of the situation quite quite well, as far as I understand. So I I, okay. I don't mean to discredit them for for that, but that initial reflex, I think, is often what we're working mm. with. And I think in religious mm. circles, we we often have that as well. I remember. Um, um, you know, in the early days as a, as a youth pastor, when we first started doing the Alpha course, for instance, I, I had a policy of whenever someone does uh, does a course with me, I will I will one-on-one engage with everyone, you know, once once a month. And back then I built that. Mm. And so there was someone that was doing this this Alpha course and she couldn't she couldn't come. She, she just couldn't get off work. And so I naively said mm. to her, well, I'll come meet you at work. Can I come have a cup of coffee with you or whatever? And her response is like, you'd, sure. you'd do that? You, you'd actually do that? You'd come and meet me at my work and have coffee with me? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, why, <laughs> why, why not? You know, I'm a, uh, I'm a youth pastor. I've finished studying. I've got all this, uh, you know, ostensibly free office time. Like, what do I do with it? Well, I, I meet with mm. people. So there I am mm. walking around the city center in Cape Town, knowing that there's this place that I'm looking for, but I, I don't know where it is, right? <laughs> so yeah. I'm asking people for directions to it, and I get some some like unsavory looks, like some filthy looks, right? <laughs> <laughs> And of course, I'd been looking for Milan Rouge, which is a, oh. it's a phenomenal dance club, right? <laughs> <laughs> a certain kind of gentleman's club, you know, that, that, that people of particular status in society go to sure. because they savor the company and they savor the food, right? <laughs> and and I remember going in, and I, I don't remember the conversation that I had with her, but I remember in my mind the fact that what was forefront of my mind was the stress that if anyone at work found about, out about this, that I'd gone to Marlon Rouge as a youth pastor, that I would be fired. Why sure. would you be going to a strip club as a, as a youth pastor? So, so firstly, it was my naivety that got me there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and all the best of intentions. Yeah. But having arrived there, what was at the top of my mind was the fact that I'm likely to get fired over this. Wow. Um, uh, the good news is I wasn't, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anyone knew either. And that's, that's probably okay and for the better. But sure. I, think, I think for me, that's, that's all the dynamics that, that for me come up in a story like this. It's the mm. question of... Of are we connecting with 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 people, mm. and are we bringing value to people's lives by connecting with people? Because that's ostensibly what the priesthood mm. is there for. That's mm. ostensibly what a priest or a Levite is supposed to do, as opposed to policing people for their mm. behaviors, policing mm. them for their morality, or their ideas. You know, their their, their theology. You know, um, and, and so mm. and so I, I feel like like there's something that's quite ingrained in us if we if we are raised within a religious in, environment um, where where we're constantly in trouble. We're constantly in trouble of our own motives. We're constantly in trouble about our our values or our beliefs or you know how we spend our time. You know whether mm. we're in church or not, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and I think that that all those expectations of us get in the way from seeing the person in front of us and in seeing the person in front of us um, dealing gently and wisely with them and maturely with them for mm. their benefits. And mm. I feel like what Jesus is challenging the religious institution in this situation 
um, and in this parable is around that, is the degree to which they've lost that relational connection, both mm. with God in the sense of like, what 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 is the father saying and doing in this situation? Mm. You know, what would the father want to say? What the, would the father want to do? You know, let me take a step back and see if I can discern God's presence. Mm. Uh, you know, see if I can discern God's voice, see if I can dis- discern God's activity in the situation and join in in any of those. Is like the first layer, you know, big mm. thing with what Jesus said and did. And the second thing is is just the recognition of like, you know, what change can can we really affect? You know, our our response is usually to call people out on their behavior. Like, why would you work at Milan Rouge? What is wrong mm. with you? Mm. You're, you're not right with God. You must give up your job as mm. opposed to recognizing you're a single mom with tough choices, mm. providing for your child. Mm. <laughs> how can I connect with you? How can I come alongside you? You know, that kind of mm. stuff. There's, there's big differences here. Um, you know, seeing someone lying dead along the side of the road and going, oh, you know, I'm, I've got a couple of high profile meetings coming up. If I, if I help this person and they're dead, oof, you know, mm. you know, my, my, my business is going to take a knock. I might have to take two weeks off for COVID. You mm. know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm rambling. Sorry. I'll, I'll, no, 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 I'll that's good because I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, one of the areas that I'm focusing in that I have in, in the other episodes is this idea of the context of this parable. It comes out of these two commandments, right? You know, mm. basically mm. love God. And then the second, the connection of loving yourself and loving your neighbor. Um, and, I, and I love that, that, that you've positioned that there as well, because, I mean, that's, you know, for, for those listening uh, to this episode who are unfamiliar with some of uh, Tim and my uh, collaboration in other spaces, this is something also that we've been looking at is this idea of present first person connection with God as opposed to belonging to an institution, believing certain things, reading certain books, going to certain places as a replacement for that. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things that I was, I was going to mention. So I'm glad you've pointed us in that direction. That, that I think one of the reasons that institutional relation, um, institutional religion battles mm-hmm. with this, this horizontal human to human care is because in our vertical, the human to God connection is often a human to a set of precepts or human to a bunch of laws or human to a worldview or human to a belief set or whatever it might be, rather than that first person connection with God idea. Mm -hmm. And that when that is missing, I think there are just a bunch of lenses that we then start to look at the human to human connection with. Um, and so those questions that you raise of, you know, for example, in this parable specifically, coming across somebody lying there half dead in the middle of the road mm. and engaging first person present tense with God and saying, okay, what, what is God busy doing? Is God present? What does God think, will, desire, feel in this moment? How do I get involved with that? How am I discerning that? It's a far easier mm response to just click into a worldview as you say and go well i'll be late or i'll have to take two weeks off or i'll be unclean or i've got to do all these other flipping annoying rituals if i touch someone who's you know almost dead or whatever it might be Mm. Um, and and i think for me there's a dynamic interplay there that that institutional religion and and, you know you know i spoke you and i've spoken quite a bit about this that just seems Mm. to miss 
because it's so fixated on the belief set or the set of rules or the everything else. And then, you know, in your example right there and then, Moulin Rouge does not fit that worldview, that set of filters. <laughs> no. I mean, I can remember coming home, this is in Johannesburg, and I'm driving along uh, an area called the Wilds in Joburg, which is kind mm -hmm. of bottom sort of outside of Houghton, but heading into Yeovil, sort of Hillbrow sort of area. And it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm heading home. And as I come just through around a robot, there's a woman running along the side of the road, but running like sprinting at one o'clock in the morning. So I think, oh hell, something's happening here. So I quickly pull over the car and throw open the door and say, get in. And she jumps in and off I go. And if we go up the hill and I say, are you okay? Is everything all right? No, no, she was just scared. She was just running. She didn't know what was going on. Okay, cool. No problem. Well, where are you going? <laughs> what are you doing walking along the side of the road at one in the morning? Where are you going? No, she's heading home. Okay, well, can I drop you there? Where do you live? Hillbrow. Okay, gulp. All right, I guess I'll drive into Hillbrow at <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but then she says to me, you know, it's been a really slow night. Do you have any money on you? And I'm like 20, 21 at that stage, incredibly naive. And I say to her, what do you mean? <laughs> she says, no, well, I haven't had any customers tonight. So like, if you have any money, then, you know, just quickly before you drop me off and suddenly the penny drops. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. No, thank you very much. Nice lady. I'm okay. <laughs> Let me drop you off in Hilra. But what's interesting for me is that when I tried to tell that story, to people at church, I just got these horrified responses. You picked up a prostitute? What the hell were you <laughs> <Yeah>. thinking? <laughs> well, she was freaking out running down the road. What do you expect me to do? No, no, you really must be more careful. Like, you just mm. can't do that kind of stuff. Like, what could have happened? Well, I don't know. Maybe she could have been gang raped. No, that's not what we mean. <laughs> well, come on, people. Like, grow up, wake up. So, yeah, the, just those, those worldviews and those sets, I think, without... In some way, that breakthrough of the present tense, like where is God in mm. this? And I'm not tooting mm. my own horn and saying I had this deep prayer session and then God said, pull over and pick her up. Something just said to me, quickly, stop. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it is an example of 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 how in the moment you can respond to something. And then from the outside, anyone can look at it and go, oof, you know, Steve, that wasn't the right thing to do. You know, mm. like, 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 let alone, you know, like having a prostitute over for dinner and her throwing mm. perfume on your feet, you know, mm. or, mm. or, um, or massaging in your scalp, <laughs> you yeah. know, or like whatever, you know, like, like, like one can pick, pick, pick any of those, of those situations that end up being uncomfortable. And, and you see that Jesus, finds himself in in similar positions where he's getting getting in trouble you know like yeah. how can you be by if that's the kind of rebel you hang out with you know steve how can you go into ministry and be all pastoral if you're going to be picking up prostitutes on a whim in the middle <laughs> of the night and then dropping them off i mean mm. my goodness what are you thinking you know yeah. like i mean it raises a whole bunch of questions you're alone she was alone ah mm. maybe you're not telling us the rest of what happened you yes know? Um, exactly did you negotiate the discount for services you know mm. we could always raise that as a question if we want mm. because mm. it's all about a culture of suspicion and and mm. projecting that human beings are just out to take advantage of each other and to mm. you know to do these evil things etc cetera, etc cetera. you know so so in that sense you know i i think i think thank goodness for youthful naivety that we end up doing stuff and then afterwards it deconstructs mm. our relationship to the institution because mm. it raises that serious question about you know like what kind of person am i 
if I'm not willing to go out of my way to meet with people that 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 have a need if I'm in a pastoral career mm. you know like like what is that what does that say about you you know mm. um and yet I know for a lot of people that's that's precisely the laws that they that they're governed by mm. you know you have to look right you have to behave right and you know um mm. you know lo and behold if you get it wrong and and I think that the negative thing to that kind of stuff is that it perpetuates the culture of secrecy and abuse that we see in institutions today you know mm. um in, in, in religious institutions, you think of the the Me Too movement with religious leaders and what's come out. You think mm. of, um, you know, um, the, the classic thing of the the good old Catholic priest being very in touch with the youth, mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, having a hands on approach. Mm. You know that kind of stuff. You think you think of all that kind of negativity where, through the preservation of of this veneer of of you know of of purity. Mm. we actually end up the religious institution becomes complicit in abuses that it should never have gone near, mm. you know, um, but the, but part of that is, is just the inhumanity of it. You know, there's, mm. there's this inhumane thing that means that, that the accusation of makes people guilty of as well, you mm. know, and I think that's the classic thing, the, the association with, oh, you touched we heard you mm. were around some lepers, you know, mm. what mm. you had a tax collector over for dinner, what even worse, you went to their house. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know that the guy's got a lot of money. It's a great place to go and uh, hang out for the evening. <laughs> My feet are weary, you know, sick your eyes. You know, I'm, I'm coming to your spot tonight. Are you, it's a, you're, it's the in place to be yeah. <laughs> smart move, Jesus. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 there's so much there that I think, um, mm that I think has to raise questions because it's the question, you know, Jesus, Jesus reorientates us from the perspective of what am I doing to be right with God for me, myself and I, and those that I'm close to, to mm. the whole thing of like, what is God at God is present and alive and active in the world. Mm. What is God doing to change this world mm. in order to this world to reflect the kingdom of heaven. And I think there there's, there's the whole thing of, of, um, I'm giving these laws to educate you, but don't get bound by them because I still have these principles that supplant mm. them, right? Mm. The principle of are you caring for your neighbor as opposed to they're part of the out crowd? <laughs> mm. Mm. You know, and 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 God almost muddies the waters in that, but I think that's very in keeping with that whole Genesis thing. They have become like us, knowing the difference between good and evil. <laughs> mm. You know, and the whole thing of of that's wisdom. This is the wisdom that God wants us all to grow into, and mm. in that to become like God. And what is God like? God is the one that pursues um, that lost sheep. <laughs> mm. You know, mm. do we reflect God in that, or are we comfortable with the ninety nine that we still got? You know, mm. and as that goes down, mm. you've got to preserve the few that you've got even more, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if, know, every um, extra one that wanders off. You know, 98, yeah. 97, and suddenly you've got three. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and since you're a shepherd and you eat sheep, I mean, that's that's cutting in the... <laughs> <laughs> that's also a problem. <laughs> cutting the mutton to the bone, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, jokes, jo jokes aside, I, I think I think there's a, there's a profound deconstruction in yeah and this is a, this is a soft parable for jesus to take it a step further and say i will you know tear down the temple and i'll raise mm. it up in three days is to almost cut to the heart of that and basically go there's a there's an institutionalism that has supplanted a humanity mm. and in doing that it of necessity also supplants god 
you know, because God mm. is not being reflected in the institution in that sense. If the mm. institution is a reflection of God, it will be more humane. It will look more like the Samaritan that goes out of his way. Mm. You know, um, mm. I, yeah, yeah it's mm, quite, absolutely, quite challenging. Yeah. Very much so, and and I mm. think you know, as I as I've thought and pondered over this parable over a long period of time, um, it's the the second question that also that I cannot escape is if I'm confronted with the priest and the Levites and I wonder where I might see myself in the priest and the Levite and what does that have to say to me about my participation in institutional religion and all of the bad stuff that goes with that, the baggage, the, the missing, the half-dead guy on the road, all the things that we've talked about. Mm. What is then the alternative that's on offer? And, and you know, obviously very clearly in the parable, it's the Samaritan but have you got any thoughts? What does it look like for us to break, let's say, the fourth wall of institutional religion and step outside of that space and free ourselves from being the priest and the Levite and everything that comes with it? Any thoughts to share on where, where would we go from here? Well, you know, something a, um, a friend of mine from years back in Cape Town used to say, Sergio Melandri, he, he said that, mm one of the reasons why we battle uh, in our relationship with God is because God is a person mm. and because we battle with intimacy as people and genuine vulnerability with ourselves and each other, that's reflected in our relationship with God. And that's one of the key reasons why we battle with our, with our spirituality as, as something that is vibrant and alive and relational. And the more I've pondered that, the more I've gotten into Jesus, not setting aside the law so much as further complicating it. Mm. You know, when, when challenged about, so Jesus, you're saying all of this kind of stuff, <laughs> that sounds like you're knocking the temple and the law on that. Mm. What do you do? What makes you righteous? Jesus goes, it's, it's quite simple. Um, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And by mm. doing that, he's not, actually making the, he's not actually making it any simpler. I believe he's mm. actually genuinely making it harder. Mm. Ourselves, we are the instrument that holds the capacity and space for others. It's mm. our emotional resources at the end of the day rather than our financial ones that Jesus is, is, is caring about. Because the story is not so much that the, the Samaritan had the money to pay for the person's medical bill. Mm. It's, it's that he had the, the human-to-human -human interaction to go, oh, shit, mm. <laughs> someone's lying in a ditch. Let me go mm. see how they are. Mm. You know, um, the, I think that the priority for him is, is on that. And so I think when Jesus says stuff like, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase him here because I, I, I prefer this version of it. Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> love yourself, love your neighbor, love God. And there's an intertwinement between them because mm. we struggle. If you think of how people's self-image is, is, is so challenged today, our self-understanding, our self-worth is all wrapped up. We, we cannot love ourselves for fear of being self-centered. Mm. And yet, the ourselves, we are the instrument that loves others. So if I think, if you think of a ruler, if a ruler is full of pockmarks and holes and is broken, it's hard to draw a straight line. Mm. If a ruler is straight, it's easy to draw a straight line. Mm. And so there's the need to love oneself and to learn to love oneself. And if anyone takes an inventory of their self-care and their self-speak, for most people that I know, it's quite negative. And mm. people don't know how to healthily have a relationship with themselves first so many people are lost in needing a relationship with someone else you know rather than mm. able to be 
in relationship with themselves in that sense. Anyway, anyway, I, dig, mm. I digress. But mm. but that whole thing of 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 love yourself, care for yourself, nurture yourself, prioritize that. Uh, love your neighbor, prioritize that. You know, mm. love them, like genuinely love them. You know, put their interests ahead of yourself. See to it that they end up being better or for mm. the interaction or, or whatever. You know, um, if you think of of that then carrying over into loving God, you know, mm. the, the capacity that I have to love myself is the capacity that I have to love my neighbor and is the capacity that I have to love God. My mm. capacity to be loved by my neighbor is my capacity to be loved by God. They're reflected in that. Now, I, I'm not particularly good at any of those, so it's easy to preach <laughs> on this as a subject, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that there's, there's, there's something quite profound in that because you know, in so many of those stories, even Jesus's discussion with his disciples, where he goes, "I'm not calling you to be leaders," um, mm. and this is something that I think we really need today. I'm not calling you to be servant leaders either. Mm. <laughs> I'm calling you to serve one another, not lord it over each other. Mm. You know, there's there's a there's a change between an institutional paradigm for Jesus to a relational paradigm. It's mm. all centered on the human to God connection, the human to human connection, the God to human connection and, and enabling that. And I think, I think there's an antidote to the toxic religion, religion that we've got today, the toxic institutionalism in, in that rediscovery of humanity and love for humanity. But I, I think that our focus has become so much sin and sin management mm. that we've lost that the whole goal of God putting the tree in the garden for us is so that we can eat of it. And, and become like God in knowing the difference between good and evil and become like God in exercising that. And just like, I, you know, I'm teaching my son to uh, to drive slowly. He's only mm. 12 now. He's got a good few years. Mm. Uh, eventually, one day, I want to hand him the keys and hand him my car and say, <laughs> you've got this, son. You're off mm. on your own. I'm, I'm, I'm trapped with you. I'm, I'm proud of you. In the mm. same way, I think that God wants to raise us up in the wisdom to discern between good and evil to exercise the good, to exercise God's authority and resources and bringing healing to lepers and recovery of sight to the blind and actually genuinely pronouncing people's sins forgiven and having them experience profound dynamic healing in and of themselves psychologically and physically, et cetera, et cetera, mm. right? Um, I think that God wants to raise us up into those things of the kingdom and eventually be in the position where he goes, <laughs> Steve, Tim, I'm handing you the keys because mm. you're ready for this. Like, mm. like, like, I trust you, you run off ahead of me and I'll follow you from time to time as opposed to the whole thing of going, uh, you know, how much more time is to spend with you because you're frustrating me to death right? <laughs> like this image, old guy, gray hair, beard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's me. Because yeah. of you, you know, yeah. and so, so I think that there's there's a there's a dimension in my, in 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 wrestling through this that I'm trying to wrestle through this with God in, in mm. that because, because we need to find out what are these kingdom resources that God wants because yes I can do what the Samaritan did, and, and if I think back to my to my to my student days I had an experience like that, where mm. I, I walked into a shop I was, I was still at uh, what was then the cornerstone. Um, uh, what is now Cornerstone, but then was the Cape Evangelical Bible Institute. It was in Surrey Estate. So I'm a white guy in what's traditionally a non-white area within, mm. you know, uh, at the end of apartheid. And I walk into a cafe there uh, to buy my usual, I would always buy myself like a bar one or a nuts and a Coke for lunch. Mm. <laughs> and I walk in and I'm, I'm standing in the queue and this guy comes up to me and he basically says, do I have money for him? 
And God says, I'm going to bless him. So I go, oh, I know what God means by this. And I take out my wallets and I'm all self-sacrificing like, like self because this is going to be my lunch money. I take out my last 10 rand notes and I, I give it to him. And like, I think, oh, I've done what God wanted me to do. And God says, what are you doing? I said, I was to bless him. And, and I remember being on the spot, like I'd been scolded by God going WTF, like I don't get it. Yeah. And the guy said, oh, thank you so much. This is going to get him through the day because he can't get work. And he pulls his hand out. Um, it was his left hand out of his mm. pocket and he'd lost the four fingers. So he had, his hand wow. had been chopped in half and he just had his thumb. Sure. And God said, tell him to stretch out his hand and be healed. And I said to myself, this sounds like a parable I read. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this sounds like a story in the gospel, you know, good old liberal, liberal yeah. person to start. And I turned around and walked away. <laughs> and wow. I carried the guilt and the stress for that for years. Sure. And constantly wrestled with the whole thing of going, firstly, on one hand, they were never healed. Mm. Right. So what a difference would that have been made to them? But in my mind, I was like, Ooh, you know, is this God talking to me? Is this mm. just me projecting? What's going on? And I, I, I walked away. So I, I carry the, 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 the stress of that engagement with God for years until sure. God spoke to me and relieved me of it and, sure. and explained to me the whole dynamic and that kind of stuff. But I feel like as a, as a church and as an institution, we, we, we are caught between that. We're caught between this whole thing of going, I must look like, right? And then, oh, I have to have the resources to do God's work. Hmm. And those resources are financial and those resources are institutional. And hmm. God basically going, no, Tim, you're confusing the picture. Hmm. There's, there's resources that I'll bring to the picture because there's things that I'm going to do. And I want hmm. you to join me in that. Hmm. And I don't think that we've got enough of those stories. Our, our stories are the, are the failures of wisdom, perhaps where we've become complicit, you know, hmm. um, in doing wrong in the world. And we don't have the stories of us working out what it's like to exercise judgment between right and wrong. So it's mm. easy for us to have these blanket statements, Steve. You don't pick mm. up women at night, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get it right. You want to keep your job. You want to look right in the eyes of the religious community. You don't pick up a woman in the middle of the night and then drop her off in, mm. uh, where, where was it? In, in Hilbert, Hilbert, right? Yeah. You just, you, you, you just don't do that. You know, Tim, you don't go visit someone in Milan Rouge for a cup of coffee, right? Mm, mm. You just don't do that, you know? Mm. Um, and, and we can go through layers of it, you know? Um, but, I, but I think at the end of the day, what we, what we're missing institutionally is the relational presence of God. Mm. And that's the big difference in Jesus' ministry. When he hangs out, with the sick, they're healed. <laughs> mm. he, you know, when he goes to the lepers, he doesn't come all out and clean and having to spend time away. When he touches a dead body, he doesn't go have to cleanse himself. When he goes to church on a Sunday, he doesn't have to stop doing what the Father's doing. You know, that kind of mm. stuff. There's something in this that I think that we've got to wrestle with and wrestle with in a very serious way. And I think that we are we're so stuck in our Western secular deistic perspective on God, our understanding that God was not only at work in creation and then retired, but, you know, then God showed up mm. <laughs> a long time later for a very short period of three yes. years as a, you know, within the larger context of Christ's life, right? And, and you know what God did after that? God retired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God wrote a book and was like, Whew, I'm done. Like my memoirs are complete. I yeah. started in Genesis. I finished with Jesus. Alpha, Omega, we're done, buddy. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that that's what we're supposed to be left with. 
but I think what we're missing is, is that willingness to genuinely engage. What would it look like if we put, we put on the table the fact that in order to become like God, we need to engage economic theory mm. and bring change to economic mm. systems in the world? What would it look like if we had to engage political theory, engage issues like citizenship, mm. engage issues like, like, like debt, debt management, you know, f- mm. financial institutionalism within the world, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. If, if we were genuinely trying to be like God, we'd basically be going, what is it like for me to be like God? It's for me to recognize that there's a difference between good and evil in the world. I don't legislate that with an in and out crowd. Mm. I deal with that by getting my feet stuck into the world and by actually making a difference uh, in, in, you know, in, in what happens in the world, in how we relate to each other, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. But I, I, I digress and I'm rambling again, so I'm sorry. No, like there's, there's so much in that that I, I would love to spend another four hours teasing out. But, mm. I mean, some of the things that I hear you saying are um, the prioritizing the relational element with God and with each other mm. over what the and institution... Ourselves. Yeah, and ourselves, definitely, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, over what the institution offers us, which is kind mm-hmm. of in some ways a nanny state relational thing that that doesn't, it's not even a nanny state because it's not even as though it oversees our relationship. It actually seeks to replace it actively. Mm-hmm. And so it's to prioritize that. But I also hear you saying there's there's an element of that, um, you know, Jesus says, I will, you know, destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. There's a direct mm. challenge to go, no, actually not this worldview, the other one. Mm. So not just prioritizing within ourselves, but actively sort of living in that way. Um, mm. I love that story you tell in the cafe. That's just, yeah, that's incredibly deep there. So many levels there. Um but well, I've, I've got dozens of stories of failure like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that one. Because I, I really hear, partly what I hear there is, if I, if I had to continue the parable from the perspective of the priest and the Levite, right? And if they had had a uh, first-person experience with God, I wonder whether they also would have asked similar questions. Did I miss my chance? Did I miss it? What happened to that guy on the road? What happened mm. to, to him? Did anyone stop? You know, maybe the priest and the Levite meet up at some point. Did you also see him? Yeah, jeepers, like he was almost dead. I feel so terrible. God has, you know, said to me, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you act the way I would have acted? Why didn't you participate in what I was doing in that moment, etc.? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I just hear the opportunity there, along with what you're talking about, about just orientating differently to how God works. Because I think that's something else that I hear you saying is the institution provides us a framework or a lens with which to understand how God works. And it's part of the replacement theory, right? It's, it's, well, God works this way. So you don't have to worry about how God works. We'll tell you, you don't have to talk to him. (laughs) You don't have to think for yourself, just accept this little worldview and this filter and carry on in that way. And there is a resistance to that that's needed. But I also hear you talking about a curiosity. So not just a, like, let's get into the streets and burn things down and shake our fists at people. But that resistance has also got a curiosity base around, well, if God is awake, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of how Elijah teases the prophets, right? <laughs> On Mount <laughs> yeah. Carmel. Oh, your God's asleep. asleep. You know, <laughs> yeah. as he popped out to the bathroom. Um 
like if God is here, if he is not taking an extended, you know, like Facebook scrolling time somewhere on a toilet, if he is active, if he's awake, if he's alive, uh, if God is present, what is God doing? And can we be curious enough to ask those questions and respond to that invitation and start looking around, looking with fresh eyes that don't necessarily come from a changed belief structure, but come from a foundational shift in our relational paradigm to go, okay, be active, you know, and I think of some of the moments through Israel's history and without, I'm not often or hardly ever one of those like, oh, let's just go back to the good old days, you know, when Adam and Eve mm-hmm. walked in the garden and heard God. I think it's a lot deeper than that. And, and so it's, that's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. But I can mm-hmm. see some critiques through the story of Israel's history, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the judges and this whole thing of us engaging with each other and God. Just give us a king, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Moses, just give us this. You, you go up the mountain. Just, just we don't want to be involved. We don't want to get, we have this hankering after institution and what it can give us the safety of it and it's to resist that within ourselves as well and be curious and go okay there is something else there's a different way of looking at it but i think one of the things that stops us from doing that is the fear once you release a paradigm even if it's for a split second you feel as though your hands are completely empty (laughs) also like what is going to rush in and fill this space right but i think it's Mm. to face that fear and go okay as you say, what if we engaged with the capitalist, with the economic systems of this world? You can really hear as part of my leaning. Please don't phone me up and tell me I'm a socialist. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, what if we engaged with educational institutions, financial, citizenship, globalization, all yeah. those things, as if God is awake, alive, active, and we're responding to that person um, and being involved? I think also not not in the sense of of the idea of God as awake and active. So what does that yes. instruct me to do? You know, you know, all respect to Dr. Slot Borders. So I'm not I'm not criticizing them with this mm. analogy, right? Mm. <laughs> but it may sound like I am. You know, when when Jesus, you know, there's certain other uh, prophets in the world. When you go, what would the prophet do? Yes, he'd go and suicide bomb people. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that's part of the behavior. That's part of the actions. What would Jesus do? Well, you know, I'd I'd go and be a volunteer doctor. I'd go and do soup kitchens. I'd go and do a whole bunch of stuff because I'm mm-hmm. reflecting the charity of the kingdom. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not what Jesus had in mind when he commissioned us to preach and demonstrate the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if we're willing to take the challenge on and deconstruct that, mm. you know, uh, like royally speaking. And I think I think here's where it gets challenging because when we hear that story of the of the Good Samaritan, we picture ourselves as being um, the Good Samaritan. Mm. Uh, we don't picture ourselves as being the person in the ditch, <laughs> mm, mm. and we definitely don't think of ourselves as being the priests and Levites. But evangelicalism and well, Protestantism and Catholicism of the Pharisaism and the Sadduceism of, of our day, mm. you know. And and if you think of, of Elijah going, is your God asleep? Is your God so impotent? Like mm. perhaps he's on a break, like what's going on? Atheism is the prophet Elijah of our day. Mm. And that's what they're calling to the church of going, you, you're saying you know this God, but there's no relationship. There's no relational mm. presence to God. All you've got is a text, you know, mm. like, like so God retired 2,000 years ago. Whoop-de-woo, what an mm. impotent God. Mm. You know, like if a God's capacity and power is measured by their capacity to relate and integrate and interact with people in the world, 
Perhaps mm. God is dead. Mm. You know, and I think when we get into that, we 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 were touching on stuff that fundamentally mm. challenges us and challenges our identity. Mm. You know, and in the same way that Jesus goes, I'll tear down this temple and in three days build it up, we need to hear the echo of I'll tear down your church. Mm. <laughs> yeah, mm. I'll tear down your career as a as a pastor, you know, and mm. I'll replace it with something else. What is that? And I think mm. I, I think, you know, what's on the surface level is a is a parable that we've got the distance we've got distance from it it's a 2000 year old parable it's mm. talking about you know priests Levites, and samaritans have you ever seen one have i ever seen one no yeah. i know them from books and stories right yeah. <laughs> um you know so there's a safety in that distance but i think the point of the story was to bring it home and bring mm. it into that you know first person present lived engagement thing and I think that's that's where it gets really challenging for me. And I've got to go. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps I'm not the good guy. Yeah. Perhaps I'm, mm. I'm the, I'm not even the guy that saw the priest get it wrong the first time. You know, <laughs> I'm the one that came afterwards. Sure. <laughs> you know, or I'm the person lying in the gutter. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think I think there's mm. there's ways in which we place ourselves in the story because we see ourselves as the hero. Mm. Um, and and I think Jesus is identifying with a Samaritan in the story. As opposed to anyone else, <laughs> mm, you know, mm. um, you know, and, and and I think that's 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 got to be challenging to us, you know, that not only is it the is it the 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 wrong person that's lying in the gutter that's got to be you know like redeemed and healed, mm. but we're lying in the gutter along with them. And mm. how does God see us? Does God see us as people that are deliberately and maliciously breaking His law and is in need of like a God's wallop, mm. you know, like a like mm-hmm. a divine backhand, <laughs> mm. or or does God see us as people that have that have that have fallen prey along the way and are in need of of being redeemed? And mm. I think when Christ goes, the work of the kingdom is the following: it's mm. to pronounce forgiveness, it's to heal the sick, it's to drive out demons, it's to raise the dead. I think He's talking in the latter category. And 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 how do we get in touch with that? I don't think that we just do it by going, I hear you, and I'm going to be more honorable and more generous, and I'm going to be more hospitable to my neighbor who's a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I yes. there is a lot in that, and I don't want to devalue that because I think it's 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 very good. And as we come mm. to reflect God, we're going to be that's going to be reflected in that in that behavior as well. Mm. But I think particularly for people that see themselves as called to ministry. We're called to be like the disciples who are are, are are schooled and trained in 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 not only these awkward stories of the kingdom and not only this this disconnect between how you're supposed to be righteous, but then you hang out with the wrong crowd, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. you know. But there's this other layer as well of of actually hearing what God is saying and seeing what God is doing, and then those works be reflected in us, you know. Like like mm. I think you know how how will we know when we're doing it right? Well when we're exceeding Jesus, you know, mm. and the pious would always go, but we can never exceed Jesus. Yeah. So what are you on about? <laughs> Jesus going, no, I want you to, like, I expect you to do greater things than I did. And yeah. the things that he's referring to isn't preaching to larger and larger crowds, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> it's not building, building bigger to 34 buildings. Years. Yeah, or living to 34 years old or to... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway, I, I, I digress. Yeah, yeah but... Yeah. <laughs> Sure. As always, when we chat, there's so many areas that I just think we can spend another couple of hours on this. But unfortunately, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here in this recording. But uh, there's some wonderful just thoughts and questions that I'm left with. And I hope the listener as well is 
is as challenged as I am by this text and the content of our conversation so far. And just what we've scratched the surface of as we've looked at this question. Um, so, sure, Tim, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming to join me for this. Um, thank you. Is there any sort of final thought you want to offer? Or? Well, well, from my side as well, Steve. Like, thanks. It's really, it's really nice to be a guest on on, on, on your on your on your podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Cool. I, I, as always, I, I I enjoy our conversations and for the way in which we get to tease this kind of stuff out with each other. I think mm. it's, it's, you know, I, I find it so richly rewarding and challenging that for me, I come away energized and then, mm. and then spend my time, you know, seeking and trying to engage God, <laughs> mm. Mm. you know, and I, I really hope that, uh, that's, that this hits that spot for, for, for the listeners as well. So, yeah. Mm. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, man. Mm. Great. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, wish you well for the rest of the December of 2020. Hold on tight. I know it's been a rough year. Um, but uh, hopefully this, um, this short series and its exploration of this idea of being neighborly has given you some thought and some direction. And specifically out of our conversation tonight, I would hope that it gives us all um, the nudge and reminder that God is not off on a break somewhere, has not retired, is present and is active. Um, and for me, the incarnational sort of, the picture of Jesus is not just a, a once was 2000 years ago, but is always current and present tense. Um, and that we are able and uh, we, can be, we can be willing even to respond to the God who is in the here and the now and in the messy and on the road from uh, Jerusalem down to Jericho, wherever that might play out in our, li our lives or the life of this world. So I hope this has been uh, good and enjoyable. And thank you so much for listening. And until uh, next time, ciao.